Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 144 of the ATPHD team podcast with myself and Danai. Hi Danai, how are you? Good, so good to be back. It's been a while, so I'm excited to have Wi-Fi again in the new apartment I'm in and be able to join the podcast again. Listen, it's not just Wi-Fi you've got, it's also... <laughs> an exceptional headset that I am going to take a picture of before we get off this podcast so everyone can see you look exceptional (laughs) you look like you're really ready for the game for anyone that's listening you have what I imagine weighs about a kilo on each side (laughs) the side of your head and a really thick wired microphone it's it's a strong look I like it (laughs) yeah if I'm speaking too loudly please excuse me (laughs) No, no, you go ahead. Like you are the professional in this room. <laughs> I don't even have a microphone today. Um, uh, hi, Anna, how are you? Hello, I am good, thank you. Just while we were waiting to get on, we were saying uh, about the weather and I've realised that I am getting really old now in that because it's rained, I don't have to uh, water my hanging baskets. <laughs> Listen, I think it's great. That's just your nurturing side. <laughs> Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah, it's like your what is it? Your feminine. We've been talking a lot about to people about feminine and masculine energy recently because of various things that we're talking about at IFS and various people I've met when I've been here. And it's really interesting, right? Because you you want to be a feminist. You we are feminists as a whole, right? And we don't want to generalize and say this is masculine and this is feminine. But at the same time, this is maybe quite cancelable. I do feel, and I'm interested in your opinions on this. That you can that, that there are kind of traditionally masculine energies and and feminine energies and things like often not always things like nurturing and well nurturing or hanging plants or whatever nurturing and you know taking care of people and collaboration and things like that are very feminine qualities and I'm always thinking to myself is that okay to say that. And everyone I speak to is like, yeah, that's fine. And I think, is it? Or is that, are you not so, Are you not really supposed to say that anymore? Because I believe, I love my feminine side and I would call it a feminine side. More like I'm a feminine energy. But is that patriarchal? Is that not okay to say anymore? I actually don't know. Mm, I think it, if we approach it as like gender specific, then you can say maybe not. But I think it's actually defining what masculine and feminine energy means, right? Because I think when people talk about it, it's the idea that, both men and women have masculine and feminine qualities that sometimes someone may have more masculine versus uh, more masculine as opposed to feminine qualities and then someone else can have more feminine so you can meet a guy for example with more feminine qualities as opposed to masculine it's something I had actually looked into quite a lot because I realized I think because of what we do and we kind of owning our own business we're a lot more you know taking decisions constantly kind of wanting to control things which is much more a masculine trait so I was trying to tap into my feminine side a lot more with like meditations dancing like yoga or just practicing kind of going with the flow as opposed to always needing to know the outcome Mm -hmm. yeah I think no I think you're totally right and I think you're totally right and I think it's important for not just business owners but any woman anyone who has to identify as a woman who is in a job that requires them to be really like strong and powerful and, and um, not aggressive, but assertive, that we do make space to feel and actively practice that feminine side too, because we want to have like, that's that yin and yang, right? We want to have both sides of it. And we talk about that a lot in terms of like compassion, the yin and yang of compassion, but actually the yin and yang on every part of life, you want to have that side but you also want to have the softer side and it's about marrying the two together and if you're constantly in like that drive I guess emotional system of always doing more and and producing and like I guess ego-driven stuff and you forget the softer side you you don't 
kind of out of balance in that way. But then I guess what balance looks like to every person is different, right? And maybe some people don't need that. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. I enjoy, I enjoy thinking about it and hearing people's perspectives on it. Anyway, let's get cracking on questions. Did I join the first? Yes. So how long does it take a brain to realize that you're using food as a deflection? I will often have dieting thoughts and then it takes me about an hour or more to realize that that was boredom or that was anxiety. Can you provide tips on how to make that faster? Does she mean like in the moment tips? Or yeah, so basically to give a bit of a context, this uh, client, what she's realized is that a lot of her food preoccupation and her preoccupation with dieting pops up in days when she's feeling bored or when she's feeling really anxious. So there's a, a feeling of unease or a feeling of threat that it's showing up for her. And then instead of sitting and get and trying to understand what's going on, it triggered that. She starts counting calories or obsessing about what she ate, strong urge to continue to diet. So she wants to be able to get out of that cycle faster when she finds herself repeating old patterns of, of behavior. Hmm. How long is a piece of dental floss? <laughs> Unfortunately, I wasn't sure if you meant like in the short term, like how long does it take to switch off those thoughts in the short term versus how long does it take to stop ever having those thoughts? And in the short term, realistically, you can do it straight in the moment of, I notice this pull to think about controlling my calories. I'm going to choose not to entertain that thought. And this comes back to what, you know, we probably see this in the podcast every week that you are not your thoughts and you have the ability to notice that thought with curiosity and say, oh, look, I'm, I feel that need. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling that need to control my food right now. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm going to acknowledge it, but I'm not going to give it any more time than it deserves. I'm going to put it in a box. And we've spoken a lot about um, in the past thought postponement when it comes to body image of imagining this kind of metaphorical box that you have that throughout the day, if you're having thoughts that are not helpful to you, you say, right, I'm going to put that in my thought box. And then later I'm going to set aside 15 minutes at six o'clock tonight. And I'm going to go through my thought box and anything that requires me to do anything or think about, it, then I'll do it. And that just allows you to focus on the present moment. And then at six o'clock at night, you go over it. What was in my thought box? Is that helpful? Is that thought? Is that fact? And really work through those, but only give yourself that certain amount of time to do it. I think that can be really effective when you find those links. What's amazing is that you've already identified that you've got that link between feeling anxious and then that need to diet. And so you've done the like kind of harder, hardest part. And now it's about recognizing that you can notice these things without necessarily acting on them, I think. Yeah, I was like following on from that obviously you've noticed that those thoughts are more prominent when you're feeling anxious when you're feeling bored awesome so think about your implementation intentions you might not necessarily know that what you're feeling in that moment but if you go okay I know when I'm thinking about food when I'm feeling that strong pull to diet that's usually when I'm feeling anxious that's usually when I'm feeling bored what can I do to help these things Mm -hmm. yeah exactly that's exactly what she's been working uh on because it is about having that self-awareness i think it takes a lot of work to even get to a stage where you can realize that you're using food preoccupation as a way to cope it's a big big learning uh so now it's about continuing to practice those exact tools that you talked about mm -hmm. uh question uh change of pace <laughs> aura rings are they worth the hype any of you have one? I looked into it <laughs> and then I was like, no. Nah. Nah. I think I looked into one of them in the past, like quite a while ago. Um, I mean, look, if you like data, if you have a good relationship with data, then, and you want to know it, then sure, they're relatively, relatively reliable in terms of heart rate, sleep quality, variability from what I know um in terms of anything else that they do I don't know how accurate they are I, like none of these things are accurate in terms of energy expenditure I don't know if aura rings do that or not I don't think so okay. no I don't think so um, so I think they're pretty I think they're pretty good if that if you're interested in those things but I have never used one 
And I think with anybody that I work with, I'm very mindful of data is great. Data can be really interesting when you like learn about your cycle or something like that. It can be really interesting and empowering. But sometimes I think you can get to the point where actually it becomes the opposite and you think, oh my gosh, I've actually only had seven hours and 59 minutes and I said I'd had eight hours of sleep and now you get stressed because you're not getting full amount of sleep or you spend your morning thinking, oh, why is my heart rate variability going down? It should be going up. And so, if, but if you, again, if you have a good relationship with it, then then go wild. But I think they're expensive too, aren't they? Yeah, they're expensive. cheap. They're not cheap. And I watched... Um... I think it was Luke when muscle mentors were still a thing and that it well it wasn't about obviously aura rings specifically it was a lecture about sleep and they said they're fantastic like you said if you're into data and you can interpret it and do something with it fantastic but for the vast majority of people it's overwhelming you don't need to know all of that stuff. Mm. actually you just reminded me that when we were at level up or the last time I saw Luke I can't remember when it was he had his aura ring on and then he had like a Caribbean clip on his bag with more aura rings on it that just didn't work and I was like this is this is you've got an issue here (laughs) back up and so yeah if you and you're right if you can use it and it's interesting to you then great as long as it doesn't impact your life in a negative way okay how to stop the spiral of self-sabotage when you notice you have dropped the good habits that you have been building? First of all, really good that you are noticing it and you recognize that it might be self-sabotaging. What I, something to say is what I've noticed a lot of times in my clients is that sometimes they are saying it's self-sabotaging when it might not actually be. It might be that they have a lot of things going on and they have quite unrealistic expectations of what they are trying to achieve just something to be mindful of am I self-sabotaging or maybe I'm trying to do too much and if it is actually self-sabotaging explore a little bit more about what perhaps what perhaps is kind of leading to to wanting to do that and just try to slowly get back into doing those habits even if it's just literally one small thing to get the momentum of how good it feels when you do those things and remind yourself of why they are they're important to you it's a little bit like what we were saying earlier when you notice these things coming up, but then you actively choose to act in line with, with your values and why you've built those habits in the in, in the first place. But starting small is key if you've been out of routine for quite a while. Yeah, I was going to, like, obviously, without more context, I don't know if you are, like Denai was saying, actually self-sabotaging or whether you feel like you are because you've dropped these habits well we've ju- literally just started working together so this is something that she's noticed in herself before so she's kind of trying to get ahead of the game to say this is one of the things that I struggle with because mm-hmm. I think there has to be and obviously it's part of self-compassion isn't it the, the common humanity and that you are human you're not always going to like you're not meant to be perfect you're not meant to be 100% habits will drop off occasionally and like Janai was saying it's worth exploring why that might be before you go oh well it's me I'm I'm sabotaging myself here are you or are you just have other things gotten in the way a little bit yeah and I like the reframe of self-sabotage to being kind of rather than a negative thing like looking at it with curiosity of saying you are if you're self-sabotaging that's serving a purpose for you and it's serving a really helpful purpose for you what is that purpose and once you recognize that then you can start to think about okay well how can I meet this need elsewhere this does take a bit of time for me I think one of the key things is slowing down and I think with a lot of our work a lot of this can be accomplished just by slowing down we spend so much of our life reacting to things oh it's this time I need to go and do this or it's lunchtime so I need to go and do this or reacting to a message and just kind of living almost outside of ourselves of going to one from one thing to the next especially if we've got a busy day or busy family life and other people around us we always are responding and I think that it can be really helpful just to practice slowing down in everything that you do and be intentional with everything that you do so example I'm in a I'm in Lisbon right now so my day is obviously a bit different but before we have lunch we sit down and we're like take a picture of our lunch obviously and I'll put my phone down and I say right I'm eating lunch now not I need to eat lunch because I've only got 20 minutes before this podcast 
this is my lunch time, so I'm slowing down and I'm eating my lunch. And then before I come on a podcast, I before I'll send you guys a link and I'll say, right, how do I want to show up for this podcast? Okay, this is what I want to show up like. Let's do the podcast. And you can do that throughout your day, whether it's between different roles at your work or with your family, how do you want to show up? Being intentional. So you are, I'm not kind of doing this podcast at this time because I said I was going to do it this time, although yes, I am. I'm choosing to, okay, I am now here in this moment. This is a task at hand. This is the food that I'm going to eat. And I think as you consistently learn to slow down, you will start to notice that if you've dropped one habit, like you said, Anna, that's what we expect. I like it when my clients are like 80% habits. I'm like, great, that's a fantastic week to me. Um, and generally speaking, I think it's a, often a better week than 100% week, just because I think it's a lot harder to do 80% than it is to do 100%. So once you get kind of quite comfortable with that, when, once you do drop a habit and if you don't have that perfectionist mindset as much anymore, you'll feel okay with it. But in the moment, if you're not quite there yet, you still feel that perfectionist tendencies, just stopping for a second and saying like, what I've had, maybe you've not been to the gym and then you've had pizza at lunch for work because you forgot your lunch or something like that. Then before you go home, stop and think, okay, what, like, what's my intent when I go home? How do I want to show up with my family when I go home? What would I love to, what, would, what was going to make me feel good tomorrow morning? Rather than running home and saying, I've already had pizza, so I may as well just do this. You're, run, you're slowing down, you're getting home and you're saying, right, I chose before I left work that I was going to actually make a really delicious roasted vegetable salad for my family because this is how I want to feel tomorrow. So just really focus on slowing down, I think is helpful. Um, right, go for it. So uh, how to bounce back from a period of feeling very tired? sleep that sounds really generic but <laughs> genuinely you meet your need that the meet you meet the need for sleep with sleep and that's what tiredness is I'm not yeah sleep rest yeah I think do you know what the thing is right you got two options here you could say well I've been really tired so I'm going to reintroduce things really slowly and build myself back up again Absolutely, you can do that. But also, if you've had a period of being really tired, you might think, do you know what? I want to be pretty on it with making really healthful nutrition choices. I don't want to pussy around. I'm not sure that that was a politically correct thing to say. We'll wheel that one back in. And you don't want to like take it easy and say, well, I'll just have three servings of protein today, but I'll still have, you know, I'm looking right now at a croissant, so that's that was in the top of my head. Um, I don't want to eat these foods because they might not make me necessarily feel optimal in my health. And then you don't necessarily want to do it that slowly because that might not be what your body actually needs if you're exhausted. You might want to think, I'm going to be as nutrient dense as I possibly can with my diet because that's what's going to make me feel good. I think sometimes we immediately go to the compassionate thing being, let's go slow and steady and let's see what we can manage. When realistically, what is the best thing for you to do in this situation? It might actually be, yeah, rest sleep recover but on the flip side of that at the same time be really on it with your nutrition choices because actually that's really going to probably help you feel good yeah exactly and actually because it's been a few weeks um since we discussed that topic with our client that's exactly what she kind of was focusing on just focusing on literally eating regularly regularly and balanced meals which made a big difference and kind of because i think a lot of times when we feel tired or you know, first reaction is to drop off the things that actually helps us feel good. Usually it's our cooking, nutrition, uh, going out for a walk to get some fresh air, those really small habits. Whereas trying to make those as easy as possible and, and get them done will start to get your energy back and feel much better as opposed to, as well as, of course, scheduling intentional rest, which is also something that she has been working on. Mm. It's the fierce side of self-compassion, right? It's the... Yeah. The active side. Ah. Any tips for dealing with jet lag? Hmm. Sure. I was going to say, I was like, out of everybody, I think you're you're more uh, well. More recently, have you perhaps had to deal with it? I can't remember. To be fair, <laughs> oh, it's great in Lisbon because we're on exactly the same time. So we is it the same? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So. A couple of things you can do, and I imagine you're probably now having to deal with it at post as opposed to beforehand. But anyway, things you can do is 
as soon as you can start working on your new time zone. So if you're flying from Manchester to Mexico and Mexico is six hours ahead or behind, I can't remember, behind, I think, then start thinking, set your clocks to, if it's 10 o'clock in, well, let's pick an easy one, 12 o'clock in Manchester and it's six o'clock either direction in Mexico, set your clock to six o'clock now, set your watch to six o'clock now and work off that time schedule whilst you're on the plane and whilst you're going there. That will help start to shift you in that direction. Um, I also read some research a while ago about resistance training at your regular time. So if you normally resistance train in the morning in the UK or wherever you're based, resistance training in the morning at your new kind of place, because that can help to some degree, not reset your circadian rhythm by any means, but can help regulate things a little bit because of the hormonal cascades that resistance training does. So try and be consistent with that if you are going to train in a new place. And I also think, like, allow yourself to nap a little bit, but have an espresso nap, like have a shot of espresso, sleep for 20 minutes, get up and get as close to that person, that, that new country's schedule as soon as possible. And be quite, I think it's important to be quite on it with yourself. Try and keep regular with your mealtimes-ish, just like you would at home. Um, and just really focus on getting into a routine as quickly as possible and daylight is really helpful too making sure like you get daylight in the morning and you're sitting you're in the dark at night like usual things for sleep hygiene is helpful okay so have wait is it my question yeah mm -hmm. have you seen any of these wild tiktoks doing the rounds of these high value men i shall paste here my favorite and i just wondered your take so I'm going to play you guys TikTok. You'll be able to hear it. I would like to say that I deliberately haven't watched this because I wanted to get an authentic response. <laughs> so if it's really awful, I should probably put a disclaimer out there. Like, I don't know what's about to come up. So let me just, let me just see. Oh, the last TikTok I watched was a Kardashian one. So hang on, let me just open it again. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's playing. Hold on. Oh, why are you not playing? You might not be able to watch it. Every time I click it, it comes up as a Kim Kardashian one. TikTok is broken. Um, I have to play around with this and do another question until it comes back on. We shall see. It says video unavailable. Do you think it's been taken down? Oh, might have been. Depends how long it's been. Oh, this could be this one. Let's have a little check if it's going to work again. Okay. Oh, here we go. Right, guys, it's working. Let me open it because I want to see your faces. Okay, we ready? Again, don't know what's about to come up. Go. Here we go. I'm like a shame. They're completely bald. It's going to be a bit creepy, especially yeah. if they've got like inner, inny lips. You know, when they don't yeah. have like the. I'm going to play the rest, but quick housekeeping. I'm going to play two different videos from them, which are equally as important. Also, please save this. It will help it in this world. Just wait until you see who starts talking next. <laughs> it's not good. Actually, I would disagree with you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think so. Can I just put in? Yeah, but before we started this this podcast, I told you about something that I'd seen someone having a rant about, and it's the same podcast talking about something very different. But oh, interesting. <laughs> oh wow. I mean, this. Oh wow. I have seen a lot of this horrendous TikTok stuff at the moment. I mean, that was pretty grim. I don't think. I don't know what. I think I'm assuming these men think that they are high value men. I'm assuming that's what we're referencing here. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you know my take, the person who's asked this question. What are your takes? I'm just speechless. Like, why? Why? Why, why is it okay? Do you know what I think? They're starting to lose control of our bodies, and so they're like, of our body fat levels. So they're like, oh, what can we focus on next? Let's focus on their vaginas. They're 
yonis, as we, we never have now decided to call them. Um, it's uh, it's awful that these people get airtime. You know, it's like this, what's he called? Tate, Andrew Tate, who's now been banned from every social media platform and who is vile and people, apparently he has an actual, like a, a kind of subscription service where people get paid to post about him. So even if he's banned, people can post about him on their own accounts and he still gets engagement. It's absolutely horrific. I think a lot of it is kind of clickbait stuff. And, but it really, it's not doing a lot for women's opinion of men because most men are fantastic and most men would not be having these types of conversations. And yet I think if I was 15 and on TikTok and I thought that's what men, the conversations men were having, that would be, that would be traumatizing and I can't even imagine the impact that that would have on your body image as a whole, but like how you grew up thinking about men mm. and just, and your worth of, my God, I don't think I knew that vaginas were supposed to look a certain way until I was about 30. And then I found out, oh, that's, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that they were all so different and all this stuff because we weren't exposed to that. Even on social media, obviously I didn't have the internet until I was like in a teenager right but um so I wasn't exposed to any of that stuff but I just think if I'd been exposed to that when I was young and 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 then I also think that's also modeling what women might young girls might think that's how men should talk to them we get most of our like ideas of how what relationships look like when we look at other relationships and if we think that that's an acceptable way to speak about women as we grow older, then do we think, well, that's the way that a partner should speak to me? It's just, it's horrendous. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It makes you think, I don't know what I'd want to do if I had kids. It's so yeah, it's, no, it's uh, unbelievable. First of all, while, I, while you were playing the TikTok, because, you know, English is not my first language. I speak English really well, but I don't know English slang. So I had to actually Google it <laughs> to understand what we're all about. I knew it was something. But <laughs> I was like, so I didn't know what was related to until I actually Google it. I won't tell you what the Urban Dictionary says. but I was going to say, know. like, I would, I would <laughs> clear your browser history Oh gosh. Do you know what? I saw a TikTok the other day that, that was two young, attractive looking men who were dancing in their jeans. And it, they were they were basically saying when she has when she has cellulite, and they were saying that they were turned on by the fact that she had cellulite. And I roll my eyes and I thought, I cannot bear this virtue signaling. Then I think, do you know what? At 15, would I be grateful for that whilst I was being bombarded with the other stuff? Probably. So I feel like I probably shouldn't, I'm, I've learned my lesson and I'm not going to roll my eyes at these young men who are just trying to do, I mean, engagement farming, but also they might be making some people feel better. Anyway, I deny a question. So uh, how can you set healthy boundaries with people, specifically friends and family, to ask them not to comment on weight loss? As it is usually coming from a positive place, I'm worried it may feel aggressive. So we've answered this question quite a lot in the other podcasts. So we'll go over it briefly. But if you want to listen to some of the other podcasts, definitely do. My favorite way of doing it is the Brene Brown method of boundary setting, which is it's okay that, but it's not okay that. So it's okay. And I love you care about my health, but it's not okay for you to comment on the way that my body looks. Or it's okay. I love that you care about my health, but I would love it more if you just didn't comment on my body looks how my body looks and then that's it doing it in a situation that you're calm that's not like in the moment a reactive situation but maybe you're just sitting having a cup of tea one day and, and and you can have a calm conversation or when you're on a walk and if somebody wants to have a discussion with you about it then great um because they might a little bit get defensive and that's normal i think but you have to try and stay calm and just say and if you need to explain it then if they're worth explaining it to then do some people will never understand. You don't have to explain it to me. Say, that's okay. You don't need to understand, but this is my boundary. Um, but other people will want to understand. And so you can have the conversation with them and they might want to learn from that. Yeah. 
I had a conversation with a client yesterday about boundaries and alongside everything that you've just mentioned, Amelia, I said how important it is that there needs to be a consequence as well, because you can tell them something, but if they keep pushing it and there's no consequence, then they're going to continue to push it. So there needs to be something that you do. And it might be that you just don't go around and see them as often or, or whatever that is, but there needs to be something as well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Anna, go for it. Um, so this is a new client um, and she says, I know it's a practice, but I just don't know at all how, I just don't know at all how to know if I have eaten enough, too much, etc., without knowing the calories of a dish. How am I supposed to know how much more to eat for the rest of the day? What are the signs to look out for generally? I just don't know. An obvious sign is hunger, but I feel I feel like I genuinely always feel hungry or could eat. Super common at the start of your journey. Very common. 95% of people will probably say this. And the, the answer really is time. Going through some hunger and fullness work that you'll do with Anna. Starting to recognize what does hunger actually feel like to me in my body? What does fullness feel like? But also starting to regulate your emotions. What does feeling anxious feel like? What does feeling excited feel like? And starting to recognize the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. And Anna did a really good webinar on transition to track fee in the free Facebook group. If you want access to that, then drop me a message or drop Anna a message and we'll send you the link. And she actually goes through really well the differences between physical and emotional hunger. And learning that is, is really important. And she talked about the hunger scale. So anybody that wants to learn more about that, then you can see that on the webinar. Um, and I think if you feel like you're hungry all the time, there's a couple of things here. You are hungry. You're not eating enough. Great. You're recognizing that you're not hungry. You're eating up and eat a little bit more. And if you are, then maybe you're, you're feeling something else. You're feeling an emotion that you like to distract yourself with, with food in the, or you have done in the past. And ask yourself, what am I feeling? Where do I feel this feeling? Is this a physical feeling? Or do I feel this in my head or in my heart or in my stomach? Do I have um, a grumbling stomach? Do I have energy? Can I concentrate? These types of things. Ask yourself the questions. But also recognizing, and, and this is a scary part because it's trust. But what's the worst that could happen if you eat a little bit less than you need? And on the flip side, What's the worst that can happen if you eat a little bit more than your requirements? Your weight will fluctuate a little bit, but everyone's weight fluctuates at a, at a healthy settling range. People's body weights will fluctuate all the time up and down more than you probably think. And that's because some days they eat less than they need, some days they eat more than they need. And recognizing that if you get it quote unquote wrong, what, what does that matter? What realistically, what happens? Yeah, we're at the moment, we're working to challenge herself a little bit. She's a, and again, I know many people will relate a grazer and I think has some conditioned thoughts around what servings look like and how she should feel after a meal. And obviously over the coming weeks, we're going to be challenging that a little bit more. So you get a better idea of what true hunger, true fullness feels like. Mm. Yeah. Great. But me, isn't it? I see a lot of I see a lot about how intermittent fasting, this is Steph's question, has a greater likely adverse impact on women than men, and that it can impact female hormones. I had a look into this and it seems to have some studies backing this up. Two questions. The first, what is the nature of this impact? And two, is it the case that this is less likely to impact you if you're in a larger body? Now, this is a great question, Steph's client whoever it was, because we keep them anonymous. And interestingly, I wanted to find, I knew that there was a recent review on this. So I was looking to find the review today before I came on the podcast, did find the review, happy to send it if anyone wants it. Um, but I also found a blog article by a very well-known nutrition company in, I think they're based in the UK, education company. It was one of the worst pieces of writing I've ever seen. It was written by someone with a PhD in I want to say biology or physiology or something. And it was citing lots of research, but it was 
truly atrocious. I said, my mum sat next to me when I was reading it and I, it was scaremongering. It was poorly written. It was just awful. It was equating basically an intermittent fasting to starvation in women and saying that these are the impacts of starvation on women and therefore you shouldn't intermittent fast. It was awful. And I actually emailed the company. I said, I really respect you as a company, but have you seen that you've got this article on your website? And they said, yes. And I said, there's no, like it's really writ badly written and there's no like critical analysis whatsoever. It's scaremongering for women. That's my worst thing about nutrition, like education when, when people scaremonger women, it really frustrates me, especially using the word hormones. And they said, well, there's scientific references cited, so it's fine. So now, now open me up. Okay then, it's totally fine. Well, I'll call them out now. I've asked them, I've called them in and they said no. So I'm going to call, I'm going to give them one more email and cite a few bits that they've said. Anyway, so it was a very interesting kind of rabbit hole I fell into. Anyway, so the premise is that intermittent fasting impacts your HPO axis. So that's the axis that's responsible for regular menstrual cycle that we talk about quite a lot when it comes to HA. When you have HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, your gonadotropin releasing hormone gets, it normally is released in like a pulsatile way. And that's hormones responsible for downstream signaling through luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, estrogen and progesterone. So when that gets kind of disrupted, your menstrual cycle gets disrupted. And the premise from what I've seen is a couple of things with intermittent fasting. They say, first of all, that fasting can impact the GnRH pulsatility, impacting your um, menstrual cycle. There's no evidence that it does that any more than the calorie deficit does. So that's just a calorie deficit over a long time. And it also might be like, we get that from stress, for example. And so there's no evidence directly linking intermittent fasting to that. The other thing that I've seen a lot of is people saying that it impacts estrogen levels. And so if your estrogen drops, then hypoestrogenemia is not helpful. That's what we get with HA. It's what we get with um, perimenopausal and postmenopausal. And so I was looking for this review and they specifically looked at human trials because a lot with the intermittent fasting they look at animals a lot. And so it's important that we look at humans because obviously, shockingly, the hormones of women are slightly different to the hormones of rats. Um, and what they found on the whole is that intermittent fasting decreases androgen markers. So androgens are things like testosterone and they also look at the free androgen index, which you don't need to worry about too much. So in women and men, intermittent fasting de decreases androgens and it also um, had no impact on estrogen, gonadotropins or prolactin levels in women, which are like often the three-sided ones is important for fertility, especially estrogen and prolactin. Um, there's very few studies that are good quality, so we can't make any robust statements from it. And actually what was interesting is something that I was thinking about because when you have PCOS, you're often in a hyper, hyper androgenic state, you have high levels of androgens. And I've definitely noticed that with clients in the past year of PCOS, PCOS, I had a couple of them who like to intermittent fast and get good results with that. And then at the end of this review, they were saying, you know, fasting, they specifically said, fasting may prove to be a valuable tool for treating hyperandrogenism in females with PCOS by improving menstruation and fertility. I'm not telling people with PCOS to do intermittent fasting. I'm definitely not, especially because often with PCOS, you're more likely to experience binge eating and that would be a really bad mistake. So I'm definitely not saying to do that. What I am saying is if you've got PCOS and you've got a good relationship with food, maybe intermittent fasting might be a good idea for you if you're trying to lose body fat. But people kind of are clumping together some of the potential impacts of intermittent fasting, like chronically low energy intake or high levels of stress, and then kind of suggesting that that then means intermittent fasting is wrong. And it's not. And if you look at female hormone pages on Instagram, they're saying this too. I would never recommend intermittent fasting for PCOS. And it's like, but there's no evidence that says that it's actually detrimental to estrogen levels. There isn't. Like there's, I know that this person said they've seen some evidence for stuff. You will always find a piece of research that says it. Like you, for all you know, like these studies might be in rats. There might be one study in the human that was four weeks long and did a certain intermittent fasting protocol. So I also want to point out that intermittent fasting is generally like a five to two diet. 
but in research sometimes they use it interchangeably so time restricted feeding is actually when you eat like between a certain window like 12 to 8 whereas intermittent fasting is like when you have five days of eating and two days of low calories um, and they both have, can have quite distinct impacts on markers of things and if researchers are not kind of specific with their terminology you have to look at the research and say was this intermittent fasting was this time restricted feeding I don't really know um, so it's crappy it seems to be the current thing so I'm going to write a post on it I think but it seems to be the current trend and I want to make sure that I'm, I've got all of the evidence before I go in on a, those, that nutrition <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to give them one more try because it's it's shocking. A lot of these companies will get other people to write articles for them, which is fine. But it's like you probably want to be a bit like on it in terms of what you're actually letting on your website. Yeah. Uh, Denai, question. Uh, so um, I started taking creatine and have noticed bloating around my abdominal region. I'm not physically uncomfortable, but I notice I'm more puffy and distended. I can't think of any other changes to my diet and lifestyle causing bloating. I have heard creatine can cause water retention. Is this what I'm experiencing? Will this go away after using it for an extended period of time? It could be what you're experiencing. It could be many other things. It could be stress. It could be sleep. It could be, uh, if you're not changing your diet, it's probably not that. It could be hormonal. There are many reasons, but yes, creatine can cause water retention, but not in terms of, not in terms of on your stomach. Creatine results of water retention within your muscles, not like specifically in your stomach. So you, sometimes your muscles will swell and you'll feel a little bit just rounder places because your muscles are retaining water. Um, so it's not specifically at your stomach. But initially it can cause a little bit of digestive discomfort if it's something that you're not used to consuming, but it will dissipate over time. Yeah, you can you can split it, can't you? And have a like, half serving at some point in the day and then the other half later on if you are finding it a bit uncomfortable on your stomach. But mm. yeah. Um Anna, go for it. Lost my questions. Um Okay, so I have to stop coaching. I have to stop receiving coaching soon. I know I'm not ready and could learn so much more. What simple things can I do to try and keep progressing? Do everything that you've done so far. But I think the key to progression is to journal once a week where you actually have a check-in with yourself, where you reflect on what you've done, what you've done well and what you feel like you could do more of and where you also call yourself on things that maybe you think need work. Think about the checking questions that we use for you as a client and you can write them for yourself, maybe expand on them a little bit. And that's really it. I think with, with progression, one of the wins of having a coach is that we will challenge you because we know that you can go a little bit further than you know that you can. And so you won't have that from a coach anymore. So think about, challenging yourself maybe you can add that to your weekly journal like am I challenging myself this week or did I challenge myself last week or where am I taking it easy nothing wrong with taking it easy and lots of parts of life it's great to take it easy and sometimes you'll have weeks like that but think about what question can I ask myself that encourages me to kind of push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit uh, so um, I was just thinking the ebook you sent out, Amelia, on journal prompts recently that had the emotion wheel. That could be a really great one to to actually have and save and use those journal prompts there because it has a lot of kind of fierce self compassion type of question. Did I commit to what I said I was going to do this week? If yes, great. If no, why? What can I do better next week? That I think could be a really great way, almost like imagining that you're coaching yourself through every week and you create a safe space that's your journal as opposed to having the safe space now that you had with, with Anna mm. yeah if you want those journal prompts just drop me a DM if you don't have them already and I will send you them Anna, me yeah <laughs> you <laughs> um, okay breakfast question Having gone through treatment for an eating disorder and never really working on my relationship with food, I've realised I distract myself at meals, plan everything the day before and never really think about food when I'm eating it. It's almost 
autopilot and I like a checklist how to do it no enjoyment we've done this haven't we I feel like we have but I'm not 100% sure how how can I begin to change that I find attaching any emotion or feeling around food really hard and even saying something tastes good feels scary to admit yeah we did do that with Steph gosh why do I always do this <laughs> I do pay attention when we do this podcast I genuinely do I'm just um keeping myself on my toes okay Steph's question, despite all the great work I have been doing, I'm still really struggling at times with belly fat. How can I stop fixating on this? And will it ever be something that doesn't bother me? I want to move away from thinking that the flat stomach is something that is perfect, but I'm finding this really hard at the moment. I think it can be so really difficult when we're so used to, you know, constantly comparing ourselves to what we think our body should look like, especially if you spend a lot of time online on social media and you see a lot of other women, for example, in bikinis and stuff, and then you compare yourself to. Uh, and I think it goes back to what we always say, right? It's a thought that will come up. It doesn't mean that you want to chase it. How is that thought making you feel? Does that make you feel good in yourself and in your body? Because I don't think it it does. And it's, it's in a way accepting that for a part of you, it won't feel good and you might not like it, but it's not about liking it necessarily. It's about being your truth towards it. So it doesn't face you. It doesn't impact your mood or how you treat your body, how you are eating for the rest of the day that you're not being too restrictive. You're still nourishing yourself and focusing on the things that you can do to treat your body with kindness and perhaps focus more on the functionality side of things. So think about what is your tummy allowing you to do as opposed to how it actually looks like at the moment. Yeah, I think, I don't want to sound all doom and gloom, but there are always going to be parts of our body that we get more hung up on about. And for you, it might be your stomach, but you're going to do so much work on uh, body image with Steph to remove the focus from aesthetics and look more at what your body allows you to do, like Denai was saying. And <laughs> genuinely, because again, like I grew up with similar influences in that a flat stomach was, it was like size zero, supermodels, that was the look that every girl wanted to achieve. And for me, one of the best things that I found to help accept that my stomach wasn't always gonna be flat. Like you can diet and diet and diet. And I think Amelia will relate when, when she's prepped and competed as well. Even when you are stage lean, your stomach doesn't always stay super flat. And as a woman, like physiologically, as I said, this is one of the things that helped my mindset is that our bladders, um, we, we've got our bladders are placed differently to guys. So when we need to go for a pee, we're going to notice it sooner than guys. Like we're going to bloat. We're going to, and obviously we've got uteruses. And again, we bloat. So we are never meant to have completely flat stomachs all of the time because of what's going on inside. Yeah, I think that's the thing, accepting that no one is meant to have a flat stomach and ultimately look, like you can look on Instagram and see a stomach and think that that person's always got a flat stomach. I can tell you that they don't. I can tell you that even the most authentic person on Instagram doesn't always have a flat stomach just because they're not showing you their roles and whatever else doesn't mean that they have this perfectly flat stomach all the time. Um, I would say it's a, it's a choice. Like you've kind of said it in the question, how can I stop fixating on this? you can choose to stop fixating on this. When you say you're fixating on it, that suggests to me that when you put your jeans on in the morning, you're looking at your stomach. When you walk past the mirror, you're looking at your stomach. When you do your checking pictures with Steph, if you do checking pictures, you're looking at your stomach. That's the choice that you're making. And I say this in the kindest possible way, you have a choice not to do that. Is it an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. Do I have to make a choice actively not to look at the, on my under eye, under eye lines when I look in the mirror? Absolutely, yes, I do. But I know that if I spend enough time looking in the mirror at my face, then I'll fixate on it. It's one of the reasons I don't wear a lot of makeup because I don't want to be looking at my face all like for longer than I have to sometimes. And that's not like that's not avoidance. That's just accepting of I know that I've got lines in my eyes and I don't want to look at it all the time. So I'm not fixating on them. So call yourself on it. 
because I don't think I really look at my belly during the day. I'm trying to think. I don't think I do. Even when I'm on lives and I've got like a sports bra on and like little shorts or whatever. And I'm like, sometimes I'll catch myself and I'm like, oh, I definitely would have hidden like whatever in this in the past. And, but I don't check it. And you, so you have a choice to kind of move away from fixating on it. It just doesn't feel like a choice, but it, it really is. Focus on other parts of your body or on who you are and what you're doing, not like body, again, body checking. Deny question. Uh, are there any physiological responses that help you know you're in a calorie deficit? Uh, for example, hunger always, for example, is hunger always evidence your body's in a calorie deficit? Absolutely not. Think about it. If you eat a Pop-Tart for your breakfast, if you eat like three or four Pop-Tarts for your breakfast, I don't know how many calories that is. I can't remember how many calories in a Pop-Tart. Is that like 500 calories? Pop-Tart's 100 calories. Good question. Yeah. Okay, so if you're eating four Pop-Tarts in the morning, you might have 400 calories, right? No protein in that, no fiber in that. I guarantee you, you'll be hungry within two hours. Okay, so then you eat another four Pop-Tarts because you're still hungry. That's another 400 calories. And then again, no fiber, no protein. Um, so you keep going with this. You're probably going to be hungry, but you're not going to be in a deficit by the end of the day if you keep up that pattern. Because hunger is not just about how many calories, it's also about food volume, it's also about satiety, um, it's also about macronutrient composition. Realistically, you know you're in a calorie deficit if you're losing weight. That's really the only way that you'll know because you could be hungry, you could be hungry and not be in a deficit, you could be tired and not be in a deficit. Um, so realistically, you don't know you if you're losing body fat over time, you're in a deficit. But other than that, there's no way in the moment to tell. And you don't really want to be thinking about it in the moment, right? Why would you want to be thinking about if I'm in the calorie deficit every second day? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's uh, exactly what you are saying. It's, uh, it's, it's in fact when we are working with our clients, we help them improve their satiety, right? So they don't actually feel hungry when they're dieting, so they can actually then sustain their calorie uh, deficit. So choosing, I see that a lot in people, right? It's, when we try to balance unconditional permission to eat with the fact that different foods do that do impact our satiety differently. So we want to make choices that will actually satisfy us. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great questions, everyone. Keep them coming in. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nay. Or thanks, Anna. Thank you so much. It was lovely to see your faces. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.